Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope that you are doing well and feeling safe and staying inside while I also am sort of going stir crazy sitting inside myself. So if you are listening to this in real time, then this is right in the sort of probably beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so we're continuing with our social distancing measures and we are all doing our best to work from home. I myself have been starting to do telemedicine, and I'm really, really excited about it. If you live in Massachusetts, this means that I can see you as a new patient if you live anywhere in the state, and I'm working on seeing if I can get those telemedicine regulations extended outside of the state of Massachusetts, but more to come. I do not know the answer yet. In this episode, I want to talk about what is the right type of hormone therapy for you? So that's what we're going to talk about in this episode. I get a ton of questions on, is the patch better? Is this better? I've been on this. Do you think this is good? So I want to go over what is the best type of hormone therapy for you? Before we get into it, I just want to remind you that I have a ton of information on my website, which is heatherhirschmd.com. It is where I have my course, The Complete Guide to Menopause, everything you ever wanted to know about menopause your doctor never told you, and my brand new ebook, which is a journal and workbook in one, and it's really about how to talk to your doctor about menopause. If you have been listening to me for any amount of time, you know that I am so passionate that women get the care that they need and deserve in midlife and menopause. And that's because I simply feel like we do not do enough educating our physicians about menopause and midlife, and we need to re-educate not only those physicians, but we need to educate those physicians in training. Now, there's plenty of physicians who are really good at this, and I always want you to start with your own doctor, but if your own doctor does not feel comfortable managing or treating or even discussing menopause with you, my ebook is a great place for you guys to start. So I want you to check that out. That's at my website, heatherhirschmd.com. Thank you guys for listening also to my podcast. It is so helpful when you leave reviews or if you leave stars, because then iTunes and Spotify will show my podcast to more people, which will help more women listen to this podcast. And I really want to demonstrate and show the world that women, especially midlife women, listen to podcasts. So thank you guys so much. All right, so let's get into what you all are here for. And I just want to remind you that since I'm recording at home and my little ones are home and my dog, if you hear any pitter-pattering of feet or barking, I will do my very best to edit it all out. But I can't be 100% confident that you won't hear them in the background every now and then. So I totally apologize for that. When I'm meeting a patient in the office for the very first time, I ask a slew of questions. And if you've ever been a patient of mine, you know that we usually spend the first 20 minutes or so learning about each other. Primarily, I'm really learning about 
you. And here's some of the things that I really want to know. I want to get a general overview of your health. I want to know if you've had any past medical history or any medical diagnoses in your past. For example, high blood pressure or diabetes or autoimmune conditions like lupus or antiphospholipid antibody syndrome. I want to know if you're on any current medications. So for example, if you have high blood pressure, are you on a blood pressure medication or are you simply monitoring it with diet and lifestyle? So I want to know those two pieces. Then I also want to know, have you had any surgeries in the past? And if so, what types of surgery? And yes, C-sections definitely count as major surgeries. I want to ask you about any of those. And then I also want to know, it's really important to me to know your obstetrical and gynecologic history. And I kind of consider them two separate spheres. So your obstetrical history is essentially your first period, your last period if you are already menopausal, or even if you are perimenopausal, when was your last period? Sometimes this can be hard to remember. I want to know how many pregnancies you've had. I want to know if you've had any miscarriages. I want to know if you breastfed at all, and if you had any gestational complications like gestational diabetes, gestational hypertension, and importantly, postpartum depression. Those are all little micro stress tests. Essentially, they're little sort of tests that you have put your body through. And that really can help me when my brain is kind of computing for you what might be the best medical option. Now, I also wanted to know about your gynecologic history, which encompasses some of that, but I also want to know, have you been on any contraception before, such as combined estrogen, progesterone, birth control pills? And if so, for how many years, or did you use an IUD, or did you use, you know, did you take the Depo-Provera shot? I kind of want to know all of that information that really serves as the backbone, the backbone of how we're going to make medical decisions for you. All right. Next, I want to know what are your top symptoms? And so let's go over some symptoms of menopause because there's the very obvious and classic ones like hot flashes, night sweats, but there's also night awakenings. You might not be waking up sweating, but you're just boom, 2 a.m. every night. You're wide awake. You cannot fall back to sleep. Perhaps you've noticed increasing anxiety. So mood symptoms can be very new for people, even if even if you have some baseline anxiety, you might notice it is just way out of your norm. Other symptoms can be pain with intercourse, change in libido, change in your sexual function in general. Some more less common ones can be new onset of rashes, uh, hair thinning. Some people notice weight gain or change in their metabolism. And other women will notice the onset of vertigo, which is essentially dizziness at the time of menopause. And so there are definitely some common classic menopausal symptoms and then some more rare and sort of interesting symptoms of menopause. And let me just end with this, that anything that you notice that is new or that is different for you around the same time of menopause or around the time that your periods have ended is a symptom of menopause to me. Even if it does not fit the classic textbook, there are estrogen receptors all over our body from head to toe, from the beautiful hair on our head all the way down to our feet. And so any new symptom that you notice, I do want to think of it in the context or in the frame of being related to the hormone changes that are happening. 
So briefly, if you haven't listened to any of my podcasts before, your ovaries make all the estrogen in your body. And when you go through menopause, your ovaries kind of close down shop or go to sleep. And essentially, after that, your body doesn't make any estrogen anymore. And so all those parts of your brain that have been used to having estrogen around for years, decades, if it's the average age of menopause is 51 and a half, so perhaps it's 51 years, you know, are all going to still continue to look for estrogen, which can cause many of the symptoms in menopause. All right, so I definitely want to know what your symptoms are. And then next, I want to know what's your priority. So sometimes these are exactly the same. Sometimes people will say my top symptom is my hot flashes and my number one priority is to stop those hot flashes. But sometimes it doesn't always equal So I might have a patient say, you know, my biggest symptom is my hot flashes, but the biggest priority to me is my sexual health because I notice it is changing. I notice it's causing a big rift in my marriage. I've noticed that it's really affecting my self-esteem and it's what makes me not feel like myself anymore. Now, I can also argue till I'm blue in the face that one is more important to treat than the other, but it doesn't matter. I'm not the patient. I'm not you. And that's why I ask those two questions. What are your top symptoms and what are your priorities? And that tends to form that second layer of the cake here. So if you think about it, that first layer is all of your medical history before you walked in the door to see me. And the second layer is what's been going on. What brings you here? And I separate those into very briefly your major symptoms, how long they've been going on for, and then your priorities. And that is going to form how we are going to treat you. Now, the biggest philosophy of my medical practice is there is no one size that fits all. There's no one right treatment for everyone. So I, while I'm sort of making a podcast, I want to kind of give you a little bit of a way to start thinking about what type is going to be best for you. Remember that this is not direct medical advice and obviously seeing you in the office or via telemedicine is going to make this so much more individualized, but I'm going to try my very best to give you some sort of broad ideas of what makes me think about putting someone into which category of medication. But again, remember, this is not a hard and fast line. This also drives plenty of my colleagues and in-training residents crazy. They all will ask me, what is your go-to medication? What is your go-to medication? And I simply do not have one for this very reason. But Let's get a little bit into the breakdown of how my brain kind of computes what is going to be the best medication for you. Let's start with sort of the easiest case scenario, which is someone who is the average age of menopause, say she's 50 years old, she hasn't had a period in one or two years, and she is really healthy at baseline. She's been on birth control pills for, you know, 10 years. She had two babies, one vaginal, one C-section. Her biggest symptom is hot flashes and sleep. And so she's sitting in my office and together we've decided that yes, because estrogen therapy is deemed safe and effective, especially when used within the first 10 years of menopause, that she wants to take a combination of estrogen and progesterone. The reason that she needs to take the progesterone because in this hypothetical situation, she still has her intact uterus. Now, side note, if you don't have an intact uterus, you don't need to take a progestin. You just need to take an estrogen. The main role of the progesterone is to protect the intact uterus from essentially overexposure of estrogen, which could lead to uterine cancer. 
Now, if you don't have your uterus, you're not going to get uterine cancer. So if you don't have a uterus, you can take estrogen only. In this hypothetical situation, if she's relatively healthy at baseline, she's also sort of told me that she has a low risk for having a blood clot. And I know this because she has taken birth control pills. I said maybe she was on them for a decade. And she had a C-section, which was also a surgery and had no post-op blood clot or DVT or anything like that. So she's kind of given herself two little stress tests. There's no reason to think she couldn't take estrogen in any way that she wanted, meaning she could take it orally, she could take a once a day combined medication of estrogen and progesterone, she could take a separate estrogen and progesterone, or she could take a patch or a spray or a gel of estrogen, and if it wasn't combined, then she'd need to take an extra oral progesterone. All that really means is it's sort of up to her what is going to be the most convenient for her lifestyle. Now, honestly, many women just say they would like to take a pill. They're used to taking maybe their vitamin D or one other medication, you know, either in the morning or at nighttime. So it's not going to be that big of a deal for them. So if you have no medical complications or really, you know, significant medical history, a once daily oral medication is going to be just great for you. But this could also be, this same woman could also be a night shift nurse who, you know, tells me that it's going to be really hard for her to remember to take a pill every 24 hours because simply her work schedule is always, you know, jumbled. So for her, a patch might be a better idea simply because that fits her lifestyle a little bit better. You can take a patch either once a week or there's a patch that is switched out every three and a half days, which is essentially two times a week. All right. Now let's go to somebody who has a little bit of a different medical background. Let's say I have a patient who not necessarily at risk for a blood clot, meaning she's maybe had a knee surgery and she's also been on birth control pills and did just fine, but she may have metabolic syndrome. Let's say in this example, our patient has some well-controlled high blood pressure and she's also on a statin medication for her cholesterol. In that case, if she has some metabolic syndrome, I might consider not doing an oral and switching to a transdermal option. And the reason I might do that is because then I will bypass first pass metabolism. So what is first pass metabolism, you say? Well, that's when you take a medication orally, it goes to the liver, and there all the medications sort of have to get in line to be metabolized by your liver. If you take a patch, you put it on your skin, or you take a gel, you spray it on your skin, it doesn't have to get metabolized in your liver. It can be absorbed right through the skin. And the benefit this that this has is it has been shown to reduce the risk of blood clot. Now, Overall, the risk of blood clot is really low. In fact, it's one in a thousand when taken orally and it's one in 2000 when taken transdermally. Both of those are really low overall. But when the patch came out and this data was known that the risk of blood clot was reduced, pretty much or many people just started giving everyone the patch. And while I have to say that, yes, I understand why the patch just simply doesn't work the same for everyone. And so there is a little bit of toggling that you have to do. First, I usually do prefer, if possible, the twice a week patch and not always, but Oftentimes, my patients do find on the weekly patch by day five or six or seven, their symptoms are starting to reoccur and the patch is kind of starting to wear off. 
Now, of course, it's meant to be a medication dose for seven days, and plenty of patients do just fine on it. But if your symptoms are very severe and you are very hormone sensitive, you will notice that that weekly patch might stop having the same efficacy at the end of the week as it did in the beginning of the week. And therefore, I would switch you to an every three and a half day patch or the twice a week patch. And that's typically what I start with. So this is going to be a really good option for patients who may have pre-existing medical conditions and also for patients who have malabsorption issues, meaning they really can't absorb medications in their guts very well. So an obvious one is someone who's had bariatric surgery. Of course, you're going to remove some of your gut that way. And so again, I would prefer trying giving you a patch because I think it will just get absorbed and actually function much better. And the same applies to patients who maybe have Crohn's disease or any other type of malabsorption issue. Now, you could also consider a spray or a gel, and they make these an FDA-approved options, and I really do love them. So the difference between the patch and a spray and a gel is going to be the amount of time you need to apply it in the week. So we just said for the patch, there's a twice-weekly patch and a weekly patch, But for these other transdermal options for sprays and gels, you need to do them every 24 hours. Now, some people would much prefer something they could put on once a week and not have to think about it. But again, I just mentioned that it does, and some people have a tendency to wear out by the time you need to, or even before you need to switch it out. So sometimes then I recommend switching to a 24-hour transdermal option, like a spray or a gel. And that can really sometimes make the trick, that can make the difference. It just has something to do with applying it every 24 hours and maybe just giving your body, your brain, or those estrogen receptors a steady state of hormone level. And some people do just do better that way. And again, you do have to do trial and error. One of the things I I think that makes my clinic a little bit more unique and a little bit different is that I always start my patients off for the very first time stating that I think I'm about 60% right on my first shot. And that's just a little bit over 50%. It doesn't sound great, but that's just because you never know how a woman is going to metabolize, how her skin might react to something that's transdermal or et cetera. So you really have to do your best calculations that you can as a physician, right? And then start with that medication and then come back and let's see how you have done. So again, for an example of this second patient who we've tried the patch, she may come back and say, you know, I noticed on the first one or two days, it felt really great. My symptoms were improved and I could work and function. But after two days, I really could not function because those symptoms really Turned. At that point, I would try switching her to a daily topical gel or a, sp- a spray that she could put on her skin once a day. And the nice thing about those sprays is they usually come in one, two, or three sprays a day, and she can also sort of toggle around with what is the right dose for her. So maybe she tries two, and that works just perfectly. And she goes down to one, and she says, oh no, I definitely need two sprays. And so Then I would have her come back and she might say, yep, two sprays every 24 hours, that does the trick. And so there really has to be a little bit of toggling. And the information that my patients give me, that you give me, helps my brain make all those little sort of micro um, calculations that help give you the best option. So even though, again, I'm trying to generalize this just so I can give you some general food for thought, it is still 
always best if you have it on an individual basis. And now, what if my patient has a reaction to every type of transdermal option, but maybe does have some metabolic health issues like hypertension or like diabetes or prediabetes? Again, I try and do all the transdermal options that I can first, but again, if those simply did not work for her, then yes, I think it is okay to try an oral option because you have to weigh the risks and benefits of the medication, but and you have to weigh the risks of not treating. So if my patient is simply not sleeping and is having hot flashes, you know, multiple times a day, multiple times a night, is overeating during the day, her mood is going down, her job is at stake, the risks of not treating are vastly outweigh, in, to, my, to me, the risks of, of treating. So yes, sometimes I will try an oral medication and see how that patient does because the, the, the side effects that we're most worried about are still extremely rare. And I still spend all that time talking to my patients about potential risks, but I do still think that giving it a shot if the patient is really suffering in their quality of life is definitely worth it. All right, so let's now talk and switch gears about using vaginal estrogen. A lot of people ask me if this is enough in and of itself or if they should be using it with their systemic medication, meaning with either their oral pill or their patch or their spray or their gel. And again, this is individualized. And let me give you an example. I had a patient come to me and the biggest issue on her mind was the painful intercourse. It was also quite dry. What we did for her is we started with topical or local vaginal estrogen. Now, names of vaginal estrogen, just to give you an idea so you can kind of start thinking about what I might be talking about, is vaginal premarin cream, um, estrace cream. You can also use Vagifem and there's others. But she she started with that. She came back to see me in a couple of months and unfortunately it hadn't made too much of a difference. Now we also sent her to pelvic floor physical therapy and I have tons of podcasts on pelvic floor physical therapy because it is so important to address the neurologic and the muscular component that you have in that painful intercourse. But we added some systemic or an oral estrogen because she had severe genital urinary syndrome of menopause, previously known as VVA, vulval vaginal atrophy, or really just in layman terms, really severe vaginal dryness and pain with intercourse. So she came back to see me in another couple of months, and she had been now using vaginal estrogen plus systemic estrogen and was doing pelvic floor physical therapy. And with those things, she did feel better. So I said, let's continue this for the year, and I will see you again at follow-up. Now, we know that vaginal estrogen is extraordinarily safe. It doesn't really add to the systemic levels, so you're not really sort of doubling your dose or anything like that. I usually say that vaginal estrogen is kind of like hand lotion. It really kind of just goes where you put it. Now, 
There are teeny tiny amounts absorbed systemically if you want to get down to the nitty gritty, but it's so low that it's almost really null. So she came back to see me the next year and she was feeling wonderful. And so at that point, we decided to see what would happen if we stopped just the local vaginal treatment because she said it was sort of messy. And and yeah, that's a common complaint from people is it can be messy. So we did stop it and she just continued on her systemic, which I just want to point out is FDA approved for severe GSM. It's approved for vaginal atrophy for vaginal pain. And she did wonderful. She came back to see me in the next year and she said she had started to use her topical estrogen again because she noticed that when she dropped it, it did come back a little bit. And so at this point she was using it about two times a month, sometimes once a week. And so you can see that again, it's really individualized. So some women do use them together. Some women use them uh, just one or the other, and it does the trick. It really just depends on how your own body reacts and what you need. Now, I could also say I had a patient who had severe genital urinary syndrome of menopause, and I gave her just a vaginal estrogen. She came back to see me in a few months, and she was doing excellent. And so for her, that's all she really needed. So the question becomes, how do I know which one I am or how do you know which one people are? And again, that's where the individualization of this really comes into play. I can make all the guesses that I want, but your own body is really going to decide how you are going to absorb and metabolize these medications. So again, there's really no one size that fits all. If you want to be on the more conservative side and you have severe genital urinary syndrome of menopause or GSM, you can just use just a vaginal estrogen and start with that and see if you need to add something more systemic. That is typically how I do it, but remember that the vaginal estrogen is not going to help other symptoms that you may be having, such as hot flashes, such as brain fog, such as night awakenings, and etc. So if you are having a lot of those other symptoms, I would probably go ahead and recommend that you start with either a systemic and or I would do a systemic plus a local vaginal estrogen to really kind of target that tissue if it is high on your priority list and it's really bothersome to you. So that's just a little bit on how my brain starts to think about individualizing some of these medications for you. If you're listening in your car, if you're listening on a walk or you're listening at home, I have this sinking feeling in my heart. You can hear my little kids pitter pattering downstairs, but I hope that you understand. I'm trying to do my best to get this really great content out for you so that we can all have something else to listen to while we're all social distancing during these unprecedented pandemic times. So I apologize if there's any background noise on your end. And if you don't have any little kids, then you have a much quieter house than I do. So thank you guys so much for listening in. I want to tell you that I have a new ebook on sale. I'm really excited about it. I've worked really, really hard and it is how to talk to your doctor about menopause. I definitely recommend checking it out. You can go to my website, heatherhirschmd.com, and you can look at it there. And it's just full of information on how to start this conversation with your doctor if you feel frustrated, confused, or dismissed by some of the previous conversations that you and your doctor have had. You can also check out my website, heatherhirschmd.com, for my course and so much more about me. And you can see pictures of those little rascals that you hear in the background. 
Please, please also, if you have the time, leave me a star or leave me a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts is really helping this podcast climb to the top of the charts. And that really gives me more of an opportunity to dedicate time to this and give you great, amazing content. Thank you so much. And let's show the world that midlife and menopausal women listen to podcasts. Have a wonderful rest of your day and evening. Stay safe and definitely stay home. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I hopefully next time it'll be a little bit quieter. All right. Bye-bye.